Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we speak with Ernie Johnson Jr., a three-time Sports Emmy Award winner and popular host of TNT's Inside the NBA. He is also the author of a new book about his life, Unscripted, The Unpredictable Moments That Make Life Extraordinary. Ernie discusses his rise to the top of sports broadcasting and how his life intersected with his faith when his path took some unexpected turns. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where my father was a big league ball player. He played for the Milwaukee Braves in the 50s and was part of their uh, world championship team that beat the New York Yankees in the World Series. And my uh, early years, uh, it was all about baseball. Every home movie that you see of our family, I've got a bat and a ball, I'm in the front yard playing, and, and uh, that was really my dream. And then when the, when the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, uh, we moved uh, in the mid-60s uh, down south, and that's basically where I've been uh, ever since. We'd go to the stadium uh, when I was really small, um, because as he transitioned from being a player to a broadcaster, and I was able to tag along with him a lot. I'd be hanging out at the batting cage, you know, watching the Braves take batting practice, and Hank Aaron's asking me how my little league team is doing. So, for a for a kid, it was it was like this dream childhood of. And that really is where I, where I learned so much from my father. In high school, I was a pretty good player, uh, but it wasn't like I had colleges beating down my door or sending, sending me letters saying, please come and play for our program. So I had to try and walk on at the University of Georgia uh, and, and try to make the team that way. And somehow I did. And so, so as, as I tell people, I walked on as a freshman and then was told to walk off as a sophomore. But it, what that did, it, it kind of forced me to, uh, to now look at life realistically, that this baseball thing was not gonna happen. And I kind of told myself, you know, if, if that doesn't work out, you could always be an English teacher and a baseball coach in high school. I hadn't really thought about broadcasting all that much, even though I've watched my dad do it for so many years. Um, until I finally just decided to give the campus radio station at the University of Georgia a shot. And, and, and I liked it. And then once that decision was made, I, I switched from being an English major to a journalism major. So I was learning a, a, so much about uh, the business and about the news business. But then thankfully, uh, WMAZ-TV in Macon called me and said, hey, we have, a, we have an opening for a news anchor if you'd like to audition for that. So. Uh, uh, yeah, it was my first TV job was anchoring, uh, anchoring the news at Channel 13 in Macon, Georgia. As Ernie was breaking into the field of broadcasting, he met a girl who would eventually become his wife, Cheryl. Ernie talks about how they met and how their early life together seemed to unfold seamlessly until the moment where things took a twist from the script he thought was being written for their future. This girl named Cheryl DeLuca. I met her Right down the street from WMAZ was the bank where I would cash my checks. And, and, and so every Friday I would drive up to the, to the drive-through window and it was always the same teller. We would have these conversations, as she likes to say, we met through six inches of bulletproof glass. We just kind of hit it off a little bit and, we always, and it was always fun. The thing that really impressed me about Cheryl when, when I was dating her was that in addition to working two jobs to put herself through school, on her weekends she would be involved in the Big Sisters program in, in Macon, 
and she was, you know, pouring into this 13-year-old girl who had had kind of a tough life, and and I was so impressed because I was I was older than Cheryl, but she was so much more mature. She was working her way through school, and uh, we kind of reached that uh, hey, this is it point, and and I went to Spartanburg for my next job, and and she stayed in Macon to finish her school. Um, but I knew she was the one, and and so I kind of tried to rekindle that long distance, and then wound up going back to see her a lot, and and eventually we would get married. When we got married, we knew we wanted to have uh, kids. Didn't really know how many, but we had a little boy named Eric uh, in 1984, and then and then uh, we had a little girl named Maggie uh, in 1987. And so, to me, the script. Uh, that I had written, we were following. You know, I had this wonderful wife, a great job. Um, you know, by that time, I had moved from Spartanburg to Atlanta at, you know, in a top 10 market, and, and, and we had a boy and a girl. So, boom, here we go. We've got all we want. That's it. That's it. Good. We're good to go. That's where the unscripted comes in. In 1991, you know, here we are, uh, you know, this... We've been married for almost 10 years. We have a boy and a girl, and you know everything is everything's proceeding on course. And I came home from work one day, and Cheryl said, "You know what we need to do?" And I said, uh, "I don't know, chicken or fish. I'll have whatever you feel like." You know, and, and she's like, "She says no. This has nothing to do with dinner. This is. I think we need to go to Romania and adopt a baby." And I'm like, "Really?" Uh, I mean, this was straight out of left field. And then she shared with me that a couple of nights before, she had been watching uh, ABC News, the 2020 show, and they had profiled the situation with all these uh, Romanian orphans after the fall of the Ceausescu regime there. And a lot of them were being abandoned. And those who were born with you know, disabilities or any kind of defects, they were they were basically being warehoused and forgotten. And this just brought my wife to tears when she saw it. And then she said, I'd love to be able to go over there and get one of those kids. And and so we we looked into that. Cheryl called me from Bucharest uh, when she was there because I was home with Eric and Maggie. I was watching them and while she was over this with this group of people she had just met and you know, in the process of adopting a child, Cheryl calls me and says, I've, I've been to an orphanage here, and the first child they brought out was a boy, nearly three years old. This boy, Michael, that they brought out, that even though the nurse, when she handed him to Cheryl for the very first time, said to her, do not take, boy is no good that there was something, that Michael had a key to this inner recess of Cheryl's heart that only he had. And she said, but I don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to that little blonde-haired kid in that Romanian orphanage. I said, well, bring him home. And that was God saying, look, I do this all the time. Here's a little orphan from Romania. He's going to be right in your path. And all Cheryl could do was say, I don't know what I'll do if I don't have this child. And all I could do was say, bring him home. 
So he was all over it, even though we didn't know it at the time. And as it turns out, you know, we fixed all the things that or the doctors fixed all the things they could fix. And then the doctors came back with the diagnosis a, little, a short time later and said, he's got muscular dystrophy. Uh, there, there's no cure for it. Uh, the muscles don't grow, they just waste away. And a lot of kids don't make it out of their teens. And, uh, and that was a punch to the gut, to say the least. But the spiritual angle on this didn't take hold until 1997. Um, and it was at that point that Cheryl and I were having one of these discussions, you know, that married couples have about, you know, how are we doing? And, you know, look at the kids and, so, you know, maybe we should be giving them some spiritual grounding. And so we found this non-denominational church uh, called Crossroads near our house outside Atlanta. And we decided to give it a shot. We're doing this for the kids, okay? And the first two weeks we're there, the pastor, Kevin Myers, it's, it's as if the church has cleared out and he's just talking to me. And he's saying, so who's the provider in your life? And, and what are you pursuing, happiness or wholeness? And I'm like, well, I got those. And I'm the provider. And happiness, obviously. We've been going for like four weeks. And at this point now, this is... This is a guy who has neglected church for the last 20 years. I'm saying, I can't wait till Sunday. You know, and, and suddenly, you know, I'm reading the Bible, which I had considered, the, you know, this, this outdated, irrelevant in, in our times book, and I'm kind of devouring it at that point. And... And I, I cornered Kevin after a service one day, and I said, hey, look, you and I need to sit down and have lunch or something. I said, because God's messing with me. And he said, he said well, let's, uh, let's have lunch. And that following week, we sat down. We're midway through. We've joined hands, and I'm praying to accept Jesus Christ and to turn my life over and get out of this me-centered life into a, into a Christ-centered existence. And that was December 10th, 1997, and it's, the, and it's the turning point of my life. When I looked at my life going forward in, in 1997 was that there's got to be more to this than just what I'm getting out of it and what, it, what my plan is. And then to have, uh, to have that explained in such clear terms by Kevin Myers at Crossroads was what told me this is the time to make a change. And you know what it taught me there is that even when I'm not paying any attention to God, he's paying attention to me. Even though at that point in our lives we're going through this adoption, God was at work, the Holy Spirit was at work. One of the things that's that's interesting about that whole thing, and you know, people talk about how can, you know, if you're a Christian in this, in this business and that kind of thing. Um, Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley and I have worked together now for 16 years. And, and, and Charles will say, you know what I like about you, Ernie, is that I know you're a religious guy, but you don't hit me over the head with it. When the election is held this year, this, you know, in November, and we're going to talk on our show about uh, how we process that election, 
and we all have two minutes, me and Kenny and Charles and Shaq each have two minutes to kind of give our take when I talk about the fact that I didn't like the choices that we were presented as a voting public and that I'm still hopeful for the future and that we, each of us, has to look in the mirror to see how we can make the world and this country better. And then to say, look, um, I never know who's going to be in the Oval Office from election to election, but I know who's always on the throne. And, and having said that, and I said, look, I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of it. And what I'm supposed to do is love. And what I'm supposed to do is pray for our leaders. And so that's what I'm going to do. When I left the studio that night, and my, I mean, Twitter exploded. Social media exploded after that. All that time, all those 28 years, it's kind of like, okay, now here's this platform where everybody's going to talk about what the world is talking about now. And how are you going to use it? And it was, look, this is the, this is the man I follow. It's not the guy in the Oval Office. I haven't been shy about expressing my faith when I have the opportunity and not forcing it. Whether that's in, when I announced that I had cancer on the air, uh, I did that in 2006. And I, and I told folks then that the only way that we're going to get through this, my family and me, is to trust God, period. And, and that is something that was, that's become really a mantra for me. It was right after the election and in the mail comes this beautiful, this beautiful gray leather, uh, Jesus calling with my name and, you know, engraved on it, uh, and trust in the Lord written on it. I love it. The themes of trust, the themes of stepping back, the themes of of not trying to solve tomorrow, you know, and and finding just peace and comfort. There, there was a day last week when we were in New York to do the March Madness thing, and it was, um, you know, and those days uh, are really, really hectic. I remember, you know, that morning before I walked over to the studio, just sitting there and and I take you know I take it on the road with me and it says don't take yourself so seriously lighten up and laugh with me you have me on your side so what are you worried about I can equip you to do absolutely anything as long as it is my will the more difficult your day the more I yearn to help you and I was like thanks I needed that and it happens every day it happens every time I open it up it's almost like it had just been written that day because God knew what I was about to embark on or what I was going through. It is a valued book that's never far from my grip. As Ernie acknowledged God at work in his life, despite the twists and turns in the script of his story, he felt prompted to share his journey with others who might relate to having unscripted moments in their lives as well. Our friends would say, man, when are you guys going to write a book? You know, and I'd say, yeah, no, I said, I said, somewhere along the line, I would like to write one. But really, the, the impetus for it, I think, was the fact that, that a competing network, ESPN, uh, chose to do a feature on our family, a 
few years ago, you know, back in 2015. Jeremy Schapp is one of the best journalists around, and he, he kind of knew our story to an extent and knew about Michael's situation with his muscular dystrophy. And, and so they came to us and said, hey, we want to do this. Cheryl and I talked about it. We prayed about it. It was like, do we want to grant somebody with cameras that kind of access to our family? And then we said, look, if it speaks to somebody who's thinking about adoption, if it speaks to somebody who's faced with cancer, if it speaks to somebody whose father-son relationship was great or was horrible, if it speaks to it in some way, yeah, if it speaks to the faith piece, then yeah, let's go. And so they, you know, they turned out this 25-minute profile, and the reaction we received was just staggering. And so then it was was crazy. I mean, to be honest, my agent called me and said, uh, we've got a half a dozen uh, literary agents who are wondering if you're going to write a book. <laughs> and it was kind of based on them seeing this life story on TV. It was just a wonderful experience. It was draining and it was exhilarating and it was emotional and it was just, uh, it was just awesome. I talk about Michael's experience, you know, and he's 28 now, uh, which is which is a, a gift a, and a miracle in and of itself to to have muscular dystrophy and to have to have been on a ventilator here for the last going on six years now. You know, he's he can't breathe on his own. One of his favorite things to say, and he didn't speak until he was eight years old. One of his favorite things to say is, love you too. And I think it's because he probably just heard it so much in our family as he was growing up. And, and he's got almost this Rain Man kind of memory when it comes to cars. And so he associates people with what they drive. This new high school opens here near our house and near Brazelton at Pushton, Mill Creek High School. This coach goes in and and his name is Phil Bolier, and Phil goes in and just introduces himself to Michael. And Michael says, what, you know, what car drive? Oh, and, and so Phil says, here's what I drive. And then he decides he's gonna leave, and as he turns to walk out of the room, Michael says, love you too, coach. And the coach stopped and was so taken by that and so we had this discussion in the parking lot a few days later. I said, what's up? And he said, I want him to teach my team maximum effort, because I know that he can't do much in his chair, but with every ounce of strength he has, he drives it or raises his arm. I said, and I want him to teach a heart for others, because this love you too thing is awesome. And so, so he becomes part of this basketball team. And a few years later on senior night, when they're giving all the kids their blankets with Mill Creek embroidered on it and their number and their name, he's the last one they call up. And Michael Johnson, and Michael rolls out there in his wheelchair with me and Cheryl behind him. And what Phil Bolier had been doing in his classroom for three years 
was telling his students, he said, look, I know this guy named Michael Johnson. He said, and he loves to say three words. He loves to say, love you too. And he taught him how to say, I love you in sign language. And so on this senior night, they introduce Michael. They give him this blanket. People are clapping. And I look up in the student section and they've all got their arms raised making this love you too sign. And I sit here and not just for that story, but for so many things that happened in my life, and I just stand back in awe of how God orchestrates life and connects dots. Because only God takes a basketball coach from Indiana and sticks him in Hushton, Georgia, and takes a Romanian orphan out of Bucharest and sticks him in Hushton, Georgia, and teaches a bunch of high school kids, I love you. And when you see that happen, and when you see him work that way, then you say, he can do anything. Ernie Johnson Jr.'s new book, Unscripted, The Unpredictable Moments That Make Life Extraordinary, is now available everywhere books are sold, or by visiting Ernie's website at erniejohnsonjr.com. Our featured passage for today's show comes from the March 16th entry of the Jesus Calling audiobook. It is good that you recognize your weakness. That keeps you looking to me, your strength. Abundant life is not necessarily health and wealth. It is living in continual dependence on me. Instead of trying to fit this day into a preconceived mold, relax and be on the lookout for what I am doing. This mindset will free you to enjoy me and to find what I have planned for you to do. This is far better than trying to make things go according to your own plan. Don't take yourself so seriously. Lighten up and laugh with me. You have me on your side, so what are you worried about? I can equip you to do absolutely anything as long as it is my will. The more difficult your day, the more I yearn to help you. Anxiety wraps you up in yourself, trapping you in your own thoughts. When you look to me and whisper my name, you break free and receive my help. Focus on me and you will find peace in my presence. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.